Geekville Radio. Hello once again, all you geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio, coming at you with another episode full of news, fun, and, well, I guess you could call it games, but we're going to talk some Venom, we're going to talk some Loki, we're going to talk Snake Eyes, we're going to talk some casting changes in The Flash, and we're going to wind it up with a little bit of He-Man talk. And once again, I don't have to do it alone. Coming at you from the nice soft padded cell in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train, Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Let me be the first to apologize for the website being down. We changed servers, and Seth has been working quite diligently trying to get all that stuff moved over. And I believe you're trying to not lose as much stuff as possible, correct? Right. Unfortunately, there was a kind of a data corruption that happened, a data, data loss. So we're as it stands right now, everything that's on the site is new. I believe the shows are still available, most of the old shows, but if you were to try to access them on the website, they, they don't work. So if you have to go to the archives on like your podcatcher, listen to them, the old ones. Exactly. But we're, we're working at rebuilding that because I still have the episodes archived so I can retrieve them if need be. But obviously that, that takes mm-hmm. time enough. Definitely apologize if, if you've just come across us and we're trying to find some of the old stuff and having trouble. That's why we're diligently working to get all that back. But it soon should be done, at least as far as the episodes being available. Right. Thank you for your patience, and just uh, let us know if you have any other questions. You can still respond on the website or on the social media. Uh, Let us know if there's anything you'd like us to look into or or bring to you, because we're always listening to our listeners to find out what they want to hear. We we have a tendency to uh, reference older episodes, and I know that that sometimes is going to make people want to look up that stuff. So Mm -hmm. thank thank you in advance for your patience. So kicking off the news here. We did get the first trailer, because really the movie's only coming out in a couple months, so by trailer standards, this one's actually pretty late, but Venom, Let There Be Carnage, this is of course the sequel to the Venom film from a couple years back, that really, it was a huge hit for Sony. It was one of the biggest hits they had, I think it was something like $800 worldwide, so it makes sense why they would do a sequel. They got the services of Andy Serkis to direct. I don't know how much directing Andy Serkis has done, but when you think about it, with all the kind of CGI and mocap stuff, I think he's kind of a fitting guy to uh, lead the charge for that. you agree? Or- uh, him or Doug Jones would be about the best two in Hollywood to do it, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah. If it's not one, it's the other on all that kind of stuff, it seems like. <laughs> right. And the trailer does seem a bit lighter than the first movie was, because obviously you see it opening with... Eddie Brock making breakfast and Venom's kind of talking with him. They're having a conversation in his head. And it's played for comedy, really, I think. But I think we talked when the first movie dropped about Woody Harrelson playing Cletus Cassidy, that he's a perfect casting. And I think what little we saw of him in the trailer, I think definitely backs that up, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Full transparency. And now this is shocks me because I'm such a big Spidey fan. I've never seen the original Venom. I don't know why. It's, it's been on streaming services I I have subscriptions to i just never watched it I, i've also thought that it was such a, a a breakout hit i wonder if the success of the venom movie is what motivated sony to be a little reluctant on the deal they cut with with marvel and that's why we are where we are now that would not surprise me uh, at all because they looked at all the 
Spider-Man characters that they would have access to. It's pretty clear they've been kind of building towards the Sinister Six, and I don't know if Venom or Carnage would would be part of that, but it's pretty clear they're teasing that with the Morbius movie because they've Mm -hmm. shown that Michael Keaton is part of that as well. Right, as as, as Vulture, as Adrian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, the thing of it is, I don't have a lot of faith in that. I know you have told me off, Mike, you had not watched the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. And the second one, of course, was the, was a was an attempt back in the mid-2000s by Sony to do a Sinister Six. And all due respect to Jamie Foxx and Paul Giamatti, they're both tremendous actors who have get received awards and to deserve them. Don't know if they were if they were the right casting choices for Electro and, and Rhino. Just Yeah, yeah. Who sees Paul Giamatti as a badass? No one. No. He's a short, frumpy, fat guy. Yeah, you know? if anything, the most that I could see him as would be like the man scientist. Right, right, exactly. I, I see him much quicker as Doc Ock as I could Rhino. You know what I'm saying? Right, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Now, if they do do the Sinister Six, I'm begging you, please, please, please cast Jeffrey Dean Morgan as Craven the Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be perfect. Uh, the only other guy that I was thinking of offhand was, oh, uh, he was in Deadwood and the Hellboy movie. Oh, Ian, 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 McShane, Ian McShane. Ian McShane, yeah. He, he, he yes. might be a little old now, but but he'd be, he'd be perfect. Well, He's got the look for it. Well, in those, in those rare moments where a remake is actually maybe as good or better than the original – it involves him. It was the remake of the Corman classic from the 70s, Death Race 2000. And it was just called Death Race. And it starred Jason Statham. Obviously, Corman was involved in it, but it actually had much better budget than the original one did. Which, come on, that's Carradine, Sylvester Stallone. It was a great cast, the original did. But with, with a little bit more serious, but still campiness to that one, Ian e. McShane plays the head mechanic for Frankenstein's race team, which is Carradine in the original, Statham in, the, in this one. And one of the few times I've actually seen him as a good guy. Though I wouldn't know if he, I wouldn't actually call Al Swergen, his character from Deadwood, a bad guy. He's just crooked. A little, a little ambiguous. Put, it, put, it, put him in that boss hog category, if that yeah. makes any sense. He's a businessman who ain't afraid to bend the rules every once in a while. He does own a brothel and a bar. A salute. So, I mean, <laughs> but I, I think Ian e. McShane is another one that would be great. And it's like I said, Paul Giamatti, great actor, but nobody see. And Rhino's a badass. He's, he's a tank. He's a tank character. But so that's my only fears that they do the Sinister Six is, well, we've seen them do this once before and it didn't really work out well. I think it all boils down to what we were talking about right now is casting, don't you? Yeah. And giving the characters time to flesh out because Marvel has definitely set the bar when it comes to mixing characters across different movies, because that was the whole intention was they did those three or four movies and standalone characters and then they did the big avengers crossover as a as a huge hit i I really shouldn't call it a crossover because they're all marvel properties Uh, you think yeah i think i think i think in light of of a few episodes ago where we reviewed Zack snyder's justice league that was a mistake that we think warner brothers and dc made was they tried to just go on the strength of how big their characters were pop culture icons and didn't flesh out and it hurt the original run and then when we got this cut even though it was extremely long some of the most enjoyable parts i think for both of us in that movie were the fleshing out of cyborg and flash that we didn't get before you know yeah yeah if they do a sinister six and we've already kind of get vulture because been established in the first spider-man movie homecoming venom's kind of been fleshed out carnage is obviously going to be fleshed out in this movie whoever else you pick to be in it give them some time to flesh out the character i love craven the hunter i know you do too He's a very lesser-known character. If you give the time to to give his backstory as this Russian big-game hunter, it's a cool story. 
Right. And I would think in order to do Sinister Six properly, you'd probably at least need Doc Ock. Well, hadn't you said to me off mic that you'd heard that Alfred Molina was in talks to reprise that role? I believe that is for No Way Home, the next. Uh, oh, okay. The, the next uh, standalone. Movie. It doesn't matter. I I really think once I, I've defended Willem Dafoe's portrayal as as Green, as, as Green Goblin. Oh, he was and, great. And the right, it just he got a crappy costume, not his fault. But I think Alfred Molina was very good as Doc Ock, very believable. And and I would I would like to see him reprise the. Uh, I did find it interesting as we're talking about the craziness that is the 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 Disney Sony agreement and then disagreement or whatever. This is the first time I've seen one of these movies where it said in cooperation with Marvel. It didn't say Marvel Studios. It just said Marvel. Right, because I think it's still Sony that is fronting the money for this one. And that's also why it's considered outside of the MCU. So this is kind of in Sony's Spider-Verse. Anything that is not Avengers is considered its own little Sony-verse or uh, Spider-Verse or whatever you want to call it. So right, right. That means that we're probably not going to see Venom or Carnage in an Avengers movie, but right. Spidey is still free to go back and forth between them, and that kind of happens all the time in the comics anyway. You really don't think right. of Venom or Carnage as guys that are going to take on the Avengers. No, no. They don't. Though they pose a risk, they don't pose a risk that big. You know, um, and I think that... Besides the casting being important, I think obviously the the script has to be good. Venom was a big enough hit. It must have been a decent script. Like I said, I can't speak on it very, very well because I haven't seen it yet. To return to your earlier point about Woody Harrelson as Cletus Cassidy, yeah, I think that if you doubt his ability to pull off that role, go back and watch Natural Born Killers. If you didn't say that, I would have. It's the same character. They're both serial killers. They're both people who are not only violent and murderous, they enjoy being violent and murderous. I always kind of looked at it as a modern-day kind of Bonnie and Clyde type. And, I mean, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is in, in Natural Born Killer, so Iron Man's in it. So, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's more than just Woody Harrelson to go back and watch that, and it's Oliver Stone. I understand Oliver Stone is, can be very polarizing because, obviously, his political beliefs and, and conspiracy theories tend to leak through into his movies. Does it make him not a good filmmaker, you know? Yeah, he's, he's at his best. I don't want to get off on a tangent here. I, I, he's a good director. He, he really is. He, he's good at getting shots and getting actors to portray the, the right emotion. Mm-hmm. It's when he's doing the documentary type stuff where some of it's kind of played up for theatrics. That's just my opinion. You know, I could be wrong. But if I recall correctly, Natural Born Killers is not, a, not based on a true story. It's No, it's not. A, not. Yeah. And yeah. so Whereas, I think that's when he's platoon, at his best. Like Platoon sort of is. It's based on around his experiences as an, an enlisted man during the Vietnam conflict. JFK, that's kind of his conspiracy. Yeah. Didn't he do Didn't he do W two the one with the one with Josh Brolin as George W. Bush? That's uh, another one. I think he was the director of it. Mm-hmm. That's another one though where he's just look. He has this is America. He has every right to express and have the political and social beliefs he has, and if he wants to put them forth in his movie and the studios are willing to foot the bill more power to them. So that's what I say. You yeah, know what? Yeah, absolutely. Now going into the MCU proper, there's two new kind of trailers or vignettes that have dropped for Loki. And it's also been revealed that Loki's actually changing its release date. It was originally set to debut on June 11th, which would be a Friday. So about three and a half weeks from now, as we're recording this on on May 17th. But I think, it it hasn't been officially announced, but I think 
the reason why they're moving it up to June 9th, which is a Wednesday, which is also a movie release day. vast majority of movies get released on a Friday for obvious reasons, the beginning of the, the weekend. But it's not uncommon for some movies to get released in Wednesday, kind of kind of halfway mm. through, especially if there's a holiday coming up that, that right. weekend. Right. I think they're really just doing it so they don't have two big releases dropping on the same day because The Bad Batch is currently running on Fridays on Disney Plus, and somebody like me would watch both of them. Now, granted, I would watch both of them, but I can see how they might not expect every fan out there to watch both the animated Star Wars series and Loki series in the same... Live-action Marvel yeah, series, yeah. on the same day. Well, but, but so that so uh, you don't have any information. You just kind of get this gut feeling that that's the reason why they've moved it up a couple of days. Right, so right. So there's a consistency of it being on Wednesdays, and your feeling is that the reason they've moved it to Wednesdays is so it does not conflict with Bad Batch on Fridays. Right. It's similar as to why episodes of Mandalorian, I think it was like the, the weekend The Rise of Skywalker came out, they didn't release an episode of Mandalorian that week. Uh, yes, so, you're, you're right, you're right. You know, similar thing. They'd be competing with themselves, basically. Right, right. And that that has happened before, I think, in Marvel, but that's happened because... Like I, I think Black Panther had such a long run the theaters that it was still in some theaters when the next MCU movie came out. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I think you're right. right. Yeah, but that that that's a testament to how good Black Panther was and how successful it was more than anything else. I think. Yeah, and and I think what what more we've seen of Mobius, I think I said it before, but it's a perfect Owen Wilson role. He, he is sure, perfect for sure. that kind of guy where he's he's a little smarter than he leads on, a little odd, but he's odd very good at his is- job. <laughs> Odd is a great way to describe. Oh, if if your character calls for odd, Owen Wilson is a guy you ought to have on your short list of of, of casting. Calls. Yeah, and for crying out loud, the character's name is Mobius M. Mobius. Yeah, and we can guess what the M in the in the middle stands for, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Owen Wilson just he. I think the best way to describe Owen Wilson is quirky. There's other actors I would put in that that same. I think Steve Zahn kind of falls under that a little bit. Kind of tends to be quirky. Yeah, uh, his. I think I think I think Owen's brother Luke can kind of be quirky too. Bruce Campbell. Yes, Bruce, definitely. It's funny that if you know anything about Paul W.S. Anderson and his films, it's no surprise that he's a big fan of the Wilson Brothers because they fit his films well because his films are very odd and quirky. I think a perfect thing that summarizes Owen Wilson-type characters, it was the first one he did with Jackie Chan. It was a Shanghai Shanghai, Noon or something like that. Shanghai Shanghai Nights, yeah. Or Shanghai Noon. Maybe or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah, but but Jackie Chan yells at him, you gave me bad directions. And Owen Wilson just says, no, I gave you wrong directions. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, that, that sums up Owen Wilson perfectly. <laughs> I forgot about that line. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the way he says Cor- it. It's, it's like Correction, just I gave you wrong directions. I loved him in Starsky and Hutch, but I think he, he played well off of Ben Stiller, but I digress. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they've, they've, they've done a couple movies. Well, I think Ben's one of those guys in Hollywood – I think he he likes to work with people that are his friends. I mean, I know that that I've heard interviews with RDJ, Iron Man himself, say that Ben called him up before he even got the script of Tropic Thunder and said, hey, I've got this new movie that you'd be perfect for. <laughs> and then, of course, if RTJ gets the gets the script. He's like, there's no way we can make this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they did it anyways, and it was hilarious. I, I, I still think what made that movie, it was just geek, geek adjacent, I guess. It was Tom Cruise completely unrecognizable and making fun of himself in that movie. That's what made that movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and as far as, as Owen Wilson goes, though, I think he's like our generation's Dennis Hopper. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Where he he can do comedy, he can do drama. Yeah. And I mean, Dennis Hopper was always at his best when he was playing quirky characters. Whether he was the bad guy, whether he was the crazy former Texas Ranger in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, whether he was the burned out hippie and easy rider. That's when I think Dennis Hopper was at his best. I'm sure you probably agree too. When he was just playing. Absolutely. When he could just go nuts and just the director, go for it. Choose scenery. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into the delayed but finally on the horizon release Snake Eyes for the G.I. Joe character. This is Geekville Radio, and we will be right back. Are you looking for a gaming themed podcast? Check out You Just Got Frag. Join host Jared Aubrey and his panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world, and of course, the gripe of the week. All right, we are back, middle part of the show here, and I am going to be completely honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, this is kind of more indulgence on my end than train, because there's a couple years between us, but I've been a G.I. Joe fan pretty much as long as I can remember, so naturally... We said it before in our wrestling shows, when it comes to wrestling fans or geeks and such, that there's that type of thing that no matter how much we might complain about something, we're still going to watch it so they don't make the movie for people like me. That's kind of how I think of this this Snake Eyes movie, because it is an origin story, they say. And granted, in the comics, which was written by Larry Hama, who's an experienced comic writer, but he also wrote the background for the characters, for the toy line, and comic book so the little writing that would be on the back of the action figures when you bought them that kind of gave the bio he's the one that wrote those exactly yes yes that was him. oh that's kind of cool so everybody duke rock and roll scarlet mm-hmm. all of them were written by him. okay yeah yeah so and larry hama wrote the original snake eyes in the 80s to be a white guy that managed to be the only american to get into the dojo the the arashikage ninja clan now before anybody says anything, and I really don't want to sound like I'm being confrontational here. I'm just kind of laying out kind of kind of a brain dump here. Larry Hama, he has Asian heritage. so He's he, like Hawaiian Japanese, isn't he? I, yes, yes. And I think he was a Vietnam vet himself and studies martial arts. So he, he's like a perfect guy to write about military and martial arts and such. So he just kind of envisioned Snake Eyes as being a white guy, especially after the Storm Shadow character came along and w- was his rival. I think you could send us 10,000 word blog posts here, but I'm going to go ahead and say this for people that don't, that aren't our age, they do not understand. There was definitely a movement in Hollywood that started in the late seventies and really kicked in in the eighties, which would have been contemporaneous with the creation of of that line of GI Joe and the snake eyes character with white guys becoming these martial arts masters you can say that was whitewashing well i can i'll have that argument and debate with you online that's not for relevant right now but it was definitely a movement and i think it started with danny rand and iron fist in the early 70s of marvel because a white person is as much an outsider to to the asian culture as asians are to european cultures and i don't think you're being nationalistic or xenophobic by saying that some people may feel that way. I can also tell you from being a being a, a judoka myself, a martial arts practitioner myself, Asian cultures, especially those that revolved around the martial arts, did not do themselves any favors to dissuade people from this this 
stereotyping and mysterious, uh, 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 didn't trust outsiders. They kind of embraced and liked that, that, ooh, we know this secret form of fighting that you don't know and you can't know because you're one of us. And then I think one of the good things to come out of the UFC was that came around. Everybody's like, oh, crap. It doesn't really matter what country you're from. If you can fight, you can fight, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of those a lot of those martial arts that have been presented to us in movies by the Chuck Norris's and all those types for years, they looked great on film, but they didn't work in a real fight. Right. You notice all, all the early U- UFC fights. It wasn't the karate guys and the kung fu guys who were winning. It was the wrestlers and the judo and the jiu-jitsu guys. But I digress. Anyways, I'm sorry. I'll get off my soap. Uh, the movie was originally supposed to come out last year, I believe, but it was one of the, like, pretty much every movie in 2020, it got delayed due to COVID. Henry Golding is in the lead, who's probably most famous for being in Crazy Rich Asians. And right. the other thing that the kind of OG G.I. Joe fans, the, one of the beefs they have in it is they clearly show Snake Eyes talking in this. And in the cartoon and in the comics, Snake Eyes couldn't talk because... He what, was, his throat injured or something? Yeah, yeah. Zartan, I believe, shot him through the throat because it, it had to do with the assassination of the Hardmaster, one, one of their sensei. And it was framed to look like, I think it was either framed to look like Snake Eyes did it or Zartan did it to keep Snake Eyes from telling anybody. But he, gotcha. got, he got the arrow through the throat. And I, one of the first memes I made in Geekville Radio was based off that Skyrim thing of, I took an arrow to the knee. I was an adventurer mm-hmm. like you. And of course, so it had snake eyes like arrow to the knee. I took an arrow through the throat, but that, and then his face was also mangled in a helicopter crash. I think he was saving Scarlet's life. And that's, that's the mask. That hides exactly. His face. That's why he always wore the mask because his face was so messed. So I, I think a little, the little, little uh, Dr. Doom, little Dr. Doom working there almost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it does look like they'll at least have some of that. Because it does look like they're going with the rivalry with with Storm Shadow. I don't recognize any of the other actors, but it looks like Baroness and Scarlet are in it as well as Storm Shadow. As always, I will reserve judgment until I actually watch the movie because they already got me. I'm going to watch it no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I've also accepted that just like Transformers and such, this is not the original lore. These are not the characters I grew up with, so I have to accept it as a 21st century take on it. And it's not the first time an iconic character has been given a different look in stories. Well, I just kind of had to sounds, get that off my chest. It seems like uh, Storm Shadows is our trifle. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. He he would wear the white. Right. It seems to me like the Storm Shadow versus Snake Eyes is not that dissimilar from the dynamic from the old TV show The Master. Do you remember that show? Yes, with with Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> Lee Van Cleef. And then Sho Kasugi, who is a real ninjutsu practitioner, who was usually the Asian in all these movies with Chuck Norris and them back in that era. He was the fight coordinator and played the evil ninja. That might even be worthy of a, of a lesser lesser known Geek Hall of Fame induction as the master. I loved that show. Yeah, it ran for one I could, season. I, I, I could see that. And they actually did do episodes on Mr. Science Theater. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I love Lee Van Cleef. But nobody's buying him as a badass ninja at his age when he did that show. Right. <laughs> and it was always obvious with the way they the way they edited it and the way they would do the camera angles. There was his stunt double in the ninja outfit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Fight. But you could tell it was really Sho Kasugi that was fighting him. So yeah, but I mean, remember that was the whole thing was he found out that he had a daughter, but he'd been the first white guy that his ninja clan accepted. So then he comes back to America to try to find his long lost daughter, and he had dishonored their clan. Well, I think there's a Lotus clan, I believe it was. And that's when Shokasugi's character, who was his top student, comes over here to try to reclaim the honors. Maybe Larry mm-hmm. Hammond watched that show and <laughs> came up with that backstory. Maybe. I don't know. You know. I mean, it was it was like I said, the show only ran for one season. But look, 
I love Chop Saki movies. I love ninja movies. Mm-hmm. I, I watched a lot of them on weekends, and I think with yeah. WGBO. Yeah, but you can agree with me. They're just like comic books. They're just like wrestling. They're just like westerns. They do have tropes. And one of the tropes is the outsider who learns the skill and then for whatever reason has to leave. And 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 then that one or two people that didn't want to accept them because they were an outsider feels wrong, and so they must now reclaim honor. And there's your, your struggle. That's a pretty common trope in martial arts movies. You, am I wrong? No, That's no not, pretty, not at all. Isn't that, isn't that pretty much the storyline of the Octagon, too, if I remember right, with Chuck Norris? Yeah, and, and and I've said before, I don't think I could ever see myself getting a tattoo because my mind would change sooner or later. But right. if I were to ever get one, it would be that Arashikage ninja clan that both Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow have, where it's the the long right. and the short uh, red red right. lines. Right, right, right. I know what you're talking about. I'm not even yeah. I'm not even a GI Joe fan. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so also getting away from movies and jumping into the DC WB world, it's been officially released that Carlos Valdez and Tom Cavanaugh are leaving the Flash after the end of season seven. They're on the seventh season now. It's already been renewed for season eight, so Grant Gustin's still around. But Carlos Valdez and Tom Cavanaugh, you know, Vibe and Wells, respectively, they've been around since the beginning. And mm-hmm. Tom Cavanaugh's kind of come and gone and played different versions of the character. I think they've killed him like 15 times by now. So Something like I, that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they're going to kill him again. But he, I think he was originally supposed to leave at the end of last season. But again, because of COVID, what was going to be the season six finale became the opening stories of season seven. And whereas Carlos Valdez, he's under contract, he's just opting not to renew. So it's not that he's getting fired or anything like that. It's that at the end of the season, it's just his contract's up and he's going to leave. So, But I don't think as of yet there's been any on-screen reason for the departure because I hope they don't kill them off. I mean, they could kill Tom Cavanaugh. They could kill Wells because he keeps coming back anyway. They always find a way to right. resurrect him. But well, my th- concern on that, on that is with Kavanaugh, is he going to leave the show altogether? Because some of the best episodes, in my opinion, have been directed by him. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Because he, and he's one of those guys. I think he's kind of an actor's actor because mm-hmm. even though most of the characters he's been playing have been alternate reality takes on the the Wells character, they've all had these different characteristics to them. Some of them are comedy, some of them are serious, and of course, in the first season, he was evil. And then even his Eobard Thawne, he was evil as well. Was it the, yes. Was it the third season where they had all the different variations of, of, of his character from different dimensions? And they were so he was basically playing like five different versions of himself. <laughs> yeah, there was like the Council of Wells. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, there was like there was like the guy that was like, like French and he was really weird. And then there was the one that thought he was a cowboy. And mm-hmm. I think one that showed Tom Cavanaugh's acting chops. But if you watch any of the conventions where they have you know panels of the cast members from this show it's very obvious that tom is the elder statesman actor because all the other cast is so young and new in hollywood and he's like ed was a pretty big hit so i, I he's been around hollywood he's been at the game a little bit longer than they have and and, and uh, you, you can tell it's obvious that the other younger cast members really look up to tom and go to him for advice so I I, I kind of hate this. Not that I won't miss Carlos Valdez. I love I love I thought I like his take on vibe. I really do. You know, and as a geek, the way he portrays vibe, that's meant to represent us because he's a geek with the geek T-shirt being his thing. You know, every week he's got a different geek T-shirt on. I can definitely attest at being a kind of a nerd geek myself. There are nerd geeks that act just like him. 
Oh, yeah, I know some too, yeah. And the whole thing, I mean, his whole shtick about he's the one that gives him the superhero or supervillain names. Who was the one that got one and he didn't get the name when he got upset? I'm trying to remember oh, who yeah. that was. I think I think that might have been in one of the crossover ones. Yeah, but like he's like, oh, I mean, and they 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 started that early when they when when they discovered that Wells was Eobard Thawne. Oh, he's like a, a reverse Flash. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, oh, yeah, some sort of weather wizard. You know? Yeah, exactly. So he's like a mirror master, huh? <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. just always, <laughs> I'm gonna miss Carlos, but I I just wonder if losing Tom is gonna have deeper effects than we realize at first because he is that older guy that they all turn to because he has directed so many wonderful episodes it, it is an on granted it's Grant's show but it is still an ensemble show. Mm-hmm. with mash being my all-time favorite show i can tell you some shows that are ensemble shows can have major changes in the cast and survive mash did cheers did some don't most people will tell you our age happy days was good but once richie ron howard left it wasn't nearly as good henry linker was great but he couldn't really carry it without somebody to play off of and and i think you could probably say the same thing about at least as far as being an ensemble i don't mean about it getting getting bad but friends was an, was obviously an ensemble there there was the ongoing thing of which one is actually the main character well they all are right and and, and that was one of those decisions where they just kept the core ensemble together and then nobody ever left so they got lucky you mm-hmm. know i I just, I just know Mash and Cheers are two that I can think of that were obviously monster successes that had major changes. Of course, that's referring back. To, what do you refer back to? Woody Harrelson, he was one of those major changes in Cheers. Yeah, you know? yeah, he was. He he replaced Coach, I think. Yeah, and that, that was one of those. What are you gonna do? The actor Nick Costolano died. What are you gonna do? You have to replace. Him. Right, and and then there was the big thing of Diane leaving the show because Shelley Long started getting into movies, and people yeah. thought that would be the end because she was the on-screen couple romance. With, yeah with with sam yeah and then and but then they brought in kirstie alley and it it was like she'd always been with the show almost and it was one of those things i think the cheers guys learned from mash if you notice when frank left mash and they brought charles in charles was was definitely a foil and an adversary for hawkeye but he was way different than frank he was intelligent he was articulate he was a even better surgeon than hawkeye whereas frank was none of those things <laughs> And so the dynamic between Sam and I can't remember Kirstie Alley's character was totally different than the dynamic between Diane and Sam. Yeah, Rebecca. So Rebecca, Rebecca that's it, Rebecca. I, I don't remember. I think they alluded to some sexual tension between the two, but they never really fully got together like Sam and, and, and Diane did, right? Correct, right. So that I think when you make changes like that in an ensemble show, whoever you bring in to replace – NCIS is another show that's been very successful. That's had yes. multiple – yeah. Uh, changes then you got things like the walking dead where they don't replace anybody they just kill people off and new people wind up joining the group <laughs> <laughs> right yeah <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of what happens during a zombie apocalypse but i do think that back to that that what i was talking about i think they're going to bring somebody in it's going to fill the void for the kavanaugh and fill the void for valdez now they are not going to try to make another geek guy or another wells i don't think they will i think they will i think they've been around long enough to realize the example set by shows like MASH and shows like Cheers, we need to make them different, maybe mm-hmm. even markedly different for this to work. Because seven seasons, we're kind of emotionally invested in, in Tom Cavanaugh and Carlos Valdez at this point, aren't we? We yeah. don't want to see somebody yeah. try to be a cheap knockoff imitation of what they did. Yeah, and, and what I think they will do as far as Vibe is concerned is they have the uh, the Chester character that he'll probably kind of take it over as the nerd geek computer guy scientist of the group so you know the fact that he's already been there for several episodes what i would love to see happen 
is he's always had that thing for Golden Glider, who, of course, is a villain. I'd love to see the two of them go off. That would be just kind of cool, but I digress. And Golden Glider is who's, who's whose sister? Oh, gosh. Not Heat Waves. It's, it's another villain's sister, though. Mm-hmm. But they've kind of had that that will-they-won't-they they dynamic every time she showed up on the show. Yeah, or, or was it was it Captain Cold? Yeah, it might have been. It might have been. Yeah. And, of course, I'm not going to lie. If it gets us Wentworth Miller for another episode, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. And, and the other thing I think we can say about Tom Cavanaugh is he has that, oh, well, pardon the pun, vibe of guys like the, the Harrison Fords of the world, where it's like he aged normally until 35 or 40. 40. He's, he's somehow managed to stay 40 ever since. <laughs> right, right. And so, yeah, I just think that that's my only concern on this, is that I think the, you they've been around for seven seasons. And I think at one point, even before Arrow went off the air, didn't, hadn't they surpassed Arrow as getting better ratings? I think so. I think that's part of the reason the Arrow went away, and you still, the, the Flareoverse didn't, quiver that much because flash had kind of taken over arrow as the foundation of the flareoverse yeah yeah and i think my real beef with some of the cw shows this year now there, there's a couple that i've gotten behind on I, I haven't really been keeping up with batwoman or black lightning even though black lightning I've, I've watched i've liked it whenever i have watched it but it's that flash they did a time travel episode where they went to the back to like the mid 90s or something Supergirl, they did a time travel episode, and then they got, of course, Legends of Tomorrow, where the whole gimmick is time travel. It's just like, you already have one show that is all about time travel. When you start doing time travel in the other shows, it's like, I think it's just using the same gimmick in multiple TV shows. It just, it, it seems like you're going to the well too many times. Maybe I'm the only one with that. Well, you got to remember, I've never watched Batwoman. I watched like the first episode, and I was like, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten behind on Legends, which when I got behind on Legends... That had surpassed Arrow as my favorite show in the in the in this shared universe. So, yeah. and that is not a knock on on Legends. Of course, Matt Ryan as Constantine is incredible, and everybody who listens to our show knows I'm a huge Constantine fan. Right? It's just one of those things that I've just gotten behind. Yeah. And other things have gotten is it, it, that's not a, a statement on oh Crazy Train doesn't like doesn't like like Legends anymore. No, 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 no. That could be farther from the truth. <laughs> and he keeps switching days. I think it's on Sundays. Yeah, yeah. That's that's always frustrating, too. I mean, uh, you know as well as I do, geeks, we tend to gravitate towards shows that don't nat- don't catch on with the general population. And those are the shows that get bounced around by the networks. And it's like, man, I got to get a, a freaking day calendar, day timer, just to keep up with the t- <laughs> Right. <laughs> keep up with it. Yeah, and that, that gets frustrating. And it like it kind of is obvious well, the network is not really behind this show if they keep doing that. You know what? Well, I'm still optimistic. Flash, I mean, it this season, quite frankly, hasn't been as good as as previous seasons. Again, maybe COVID had something to do with it, and they had to, to rewrite some stuff. Right. Legends, I think, has better peaks and valleys. When Legends is hitting on all cylinders, it, it, it's awesome. It's got that blockbuster movie feel. There's great chemistry between the cast. And uh, the, ep- the episode where they save Star Wars and George Lucas is still <laughs> if you call yourself a geek and you watch that episode and you're not into that show, then I'm sorry. I'm taking your geek. You know, the episode I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Where it, it, it basically implied that getting involved with him essentially motivated or inspired George Lucas to make Star Wars because they did like a yes. trash compactor scene and, <laughs> yep. and the whole yeah, nine yards. It, was, it was incredible. I was like going. Wow, this is like this is the ultimate fanboy service right here in this one hour television show. Yeah, and and there's been some horror stuff as well because I remember they had oh, yeah. uh, 
an episode, I think it was last season, where they were building it up like it was this high schooler who was put to death for crimes, and now these years later, he's coming back from the dead to to avenge and all that. And Isn't that the storyline to every slasher movie in the 80s? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you haven't seen the episode, I'll, I, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but, but it's definitely the the 80s uh, horror movie uh, resolution as well. That is one thing I've enjoyed about the Legend show is that they have fully embraced aspects of whatever era that they're traveling to. You know? Right, right. If they're going to do a slasher movie, it's going to be an ode to slasher movies. If they're going to do sci-fi, it's an ode to classic sci-fi and so on. When they when they did the one in the 60s, it totally had a man from Uncle Early James Bond feel to it, remember? Yeah, yeah. And, and they recently had one that took place in the 50s. It's got all doo-wop music in the background. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm I'm a big enough nerd to appreciate that attention to detail. I'm sure you are too. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember I, it was the last season or the season before where they had an episode that took place in like '77 or '78, and I could notice that the heroes pulled up in a 1980 Trans Am, and I'm just like, mm, well, again, you're too much of a car. You're too, you're too much of a car I'm, guy. To I'm get a that car one guy. Person. I noticed that stuff. So, but they, they, there was. It was probably what they easily had access to. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do not understand Seth's knowledge and feelings on cars and movies and television shows, I refer you to our episode, our first nostalgia trip on the Dukes of Hazard and his long discussion of all the vehicles in that car <laughs> yeah. and how those were that Roscoe's police cruiser was actually appropriate for police cruisers of that era. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. And now you were one of the guys that could notice when it was one of the one of the wrong wrong general East. <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> they used several different year 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 models to, you know, because as John Steiner and Tom Wolfbab have both said, you realize every time we jumped that thing, we had it was total. Because we mm-hmm. broke the axle and the and how many times did they jump that car next? Yeah. Year? <laughs> At least once or twice an episode. Yeah, and so believe me, ladies and gentlemen, Seth notices those things. That's just who he is. All right, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back. We're going to wind things up with some He-Man talk. This is Geekville Radio, and we'll be right back. Attention all Time Lords and ladies, Geekville Radio presents Examining the Doctor, a weekly look at everybody's favorite Time Lord, the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor to favorite and not-so-favorite episodes of Doctor Who. From Hartnell to Capaldi, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for classic and current Doctor Who fans alike. Examining the Doctor, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at geekgoradio.com. All right, we are back. Final segment to the show, and... I think, I'm, as I mentioned in our last episode, next up, coming soon for Examine the Doctor, is going to be our look at the Faceless Ones, the lost Patrick Troughton story that was recently redone as an animated series. I'd said before that I always liked the premise of that because the villains, who, of course, aliens in disguise type thing, they would bring people on board these ships and then kind of gas them to knock them out, and then the airplane rises into the sky, and it just keeps going up and going up, and suddenly they have a, they have a jetliner in space. And that, I don't know, that gimmick was always kind of cool. So that's that's coming soon on Examine the Doctor, SuppleRadio.com, or whatever. I have, to, I have to ask, Doctor Strange guy, are the faces ones anything like the mindless ones from the Dark Dimension in the Doctor Strange comic book <laughs> that Dormammu? <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't think so. Cause... I didn't think so either, but I just, right, you know, right. similar I, I, names. Yeah, I actually know who you were you were talking about because they were a bear and a half to deal with the Lions oh, yeah. game. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, the Diamondus ones are basically 
big rock creatures. <laughs> yeah. All right, but speaking of rock, so there's probably a lot of rock on Eternia. He got a couple of promotional stills for Masters of the Universe Revelation, which is He-Man series that Kevin Smith is doing for Netflix. It's actually set to drop in July. Now, is and, Kevin directing episodes, or is he just producing, or is he doing a little bit of both? He's essentially uh, producing. He's the showrunner of it is probably the best. Oh, he's, he's the Berlani. He's the Feige. Of exactly. It, exactly. It's the first time he's done something like that. And I will link the pictures of both the show and the action figures. We probably should have gotten David McKinney on to talk the action figure. I know he's a big action figure guy like I am. But one oh, yeah. thing that I liked <sighs> about this, as far as the look of the show, is it is 2D animation. And while the animation is different than what it looked like in the 80s, it was definitely made abundantly clear early on by Kevin Smith himself that this is essentially a sequel to the classic show that uh, the 80s kids grew up on. Now, I know there's a couple-year difference between us, so I think you had already kind of moved on from cartoons and action figures <laughs> to... Much, you know, much like with G.I. Like Joe, because it was contemporary of G.I. Joe. Right, you know, right. Th- and other, other ones I missed that a lot of you guys like are Thundercats, Transformers. Sorry, mm-hmm. folks. You can take my, my geek card, but I also have knowledge of things from the 70s that they don't. So Right, exactly. Like you, you, like you didn't remember the ISIS and Shazam live-action Saturday morning shows, and I did. So there you go, right? <laughs> right, right. And you probably remember watching more episodes of Wonder Woman or Six Million Dollar Man than I did. Oh, heck yeah. And uh, Linda Carter, my first, my first celebrity crush. Are you, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? <laughs> right. I mean, I don't think you remember. You didn't remember Land of the Lost that much either, except right. that they did that terrible Will Ferrell movie a few years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. And as far as the, the figures go, I think it does a good job of kind of giving that 80s look, but there's definitely more articulation. You can move the knees and the elbows and such better than you could with the original. Boy, I, I, you showed me the stills before we went on air, and I, that's what I was thinking. And then the stills from the, from the show. It's like you can always tell if you watch a long-running animated show like uh, Family Guy or Simpsons. You can tell when they made that switch from old-school cell drawing to the computer stuff. Mm-hmm. This is what it looks like to me. It looks like this is the same type of animation and drawing they were doing in the 80s, but it's now with that new whiz-bang computer stuff they do. You know, Right, right. Probably a little more fluid movement in, instead of characters where like the face will stay perfectly still, but the eyes will blink and the, and the mouth will move. Right, and, and people need to understand who, who don't know this. That is why I think there's been such an explosion of animated stuff. Go to any of the of the streaming services you have a subscription to. There's tons of animated stuff out there now because it's with the computers it just made it easier for the animators to do than they could do back in the old days. Right, where you literally were having to draw cell by cell, hand hand by hand. You know, mm-hmm. and really the voice cast is. Uh, who's who of voice acting. I think we, we'd gone over most of the voice cast before, but Mark Hamill had said that he was actually debating getting out of animation because he's you know, been, been working a lot again at, after Star Wars and such. But when Kevin Smith approached him with being Skeletor, he's like, how can I say no to being Skeletor? <laughs> yeah. Well, I find it humorous that you've got him and Kevin Conroy in it. So there's one Batman Joker. And mm-hmm. then there's a Diedrich Botter and a Mike and a, a was a Kevin Michael Richardson. There's another Joker and another Batman. <laughs> right. So we've got two Batmans and two Jokers in the same in the same show now. Yeah. And Alan Oppenheimer, who's the original Skeletor, he's going to be Moss Man, and Jason Mewes is going to be Stinkor, the Walking Skunk. So I, I well, think. Well, I mean, is Jason Mewes not going to be involved in a Kevin Smith? project right exactly and and i I, I think it's a pretty safe bet because when i first heard that kevin smith was doing he-man i'm like 
okay, how long till we get the Beastman fart joke? Maybe right. Stinker will be doing the fart jokes. I don't know. But some some of these other actors are like they're like live action, like Justin Long, Tony Todd, Alicia Silverstone, Chris Summer, Stephen Root, mm-hmm. uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Buffy herself. These these are actors that like do movies live action. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So and uh, Chris Wood, of course, most recently was in Supergirl as Monel. Right, exactly. I see Susan Eisenberg. She was the voice of Wonder Woman for how many years? Right, right. These... Going, I think going back to Justice League, if not before that. Yeah, and you got Phil Lamar's in the cast. He voice of John Stewart Green Lantern for years. So it's this really nice blend, I think, of like veteran, established, well-known voice actors and actresses mixed with people that have never done that before, but you still are going to probably know their voice. And I see Kevin Cass's daughter, Harley Quinn, in it as well. Yeah, I think she's done a couple of his projects now that she's old enough, I believe. Yeah. If you have any question of how big a geek Kevin Smith is, the fact he named his daughter Harley Quinn ought to tell you all you right. need to know. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, it's going to be almost exactly about two months from now. I will check it out because I didn't watch He-Man as much as I watched G.I. Joe or Transformers, but I paid enough attention to it to kind of know what was going on. Like, I know enough to know that Hordak was Skeletor's mentor. And Hordak was the bad guy in She-Ra. I also know that this is going to have no connection to the Netflix She-Ra show, which is done by a completely different showrunner. I know there's people that are disappointed with that, but it's a completely different animation style as well. She-Ra looks like it's going, just my opinion from looking at it, because I haven't watched whole episodes, but it looked like it was kind of going for that Sailor Moon type vibe. Maybe a little bit of... More more the Japan Bay type. Exactly. Whereas this one, like I said, this definitely looks like it is geared towards an American audience that grew up in the 80s. I'm wondering, who who did the original He-Man? Was that what, was it Filmation? Did it was Filmation, who, who, yeah. Okay. If, it's it's kind of like once you got outside of Hanna-Barbera and Disney, there were only a handful of other really studios doing animation like that in, in the 80s. Yeah. You know? Here's the big reason why I remember that it was He-Man. That's how I remember it was Filmation that did He-Man, because you heard that little jingle in front of all the episodes. So, like we said, I know you weren't much of a He-Man guy, but is there anything no. else as far as no. uh, characters and such? You know, I, I might actually watch, though, because I am a mm-hmm. Kevin Smith fan, and I, yeah. I, I'm very impressed by the voice cast. And though when I was 15, 14, 15 years old, and I was like, oh, I'm too old for that, man. I'm worried about girls in the weight room. I'm old enough now to appreciate it. It's definitely a part of my youth. So, <laughs> right, and those those rose nut colored nostalgia glasses. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, and this is like what the third or fourth He-Man revival. So the fact that it keeps getting revived, I think, is a sign that somebody uh, had this in their childhood. They got old enough to produce something, and they thought, "Oh man, let's redo He-Man." And then maybe that are generation kind of. Are we ever going to get a sequel that was teased with that stinger at the end of the live action with Dolph Lundgren? That's what I want to know. Because today, you easily could do a He-Man movie in Eternia. Because my understanding is the reason why the He-Man movie was mainly set on Earth was because to try to, yeah, to try to do it all the time in Eternia would have been very expensive, and it probably would have wound up looking like Krull. Which is not a bad thing. Right. Yeah. Is it is another possibility for an induction into the lesser known geek hall of fame? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it didn't age. For, you know, no. So. But 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 at the end of the day, the glaive is still one of the coolest weapons mm-hmm. ever in geekdom. Yep. And it sucked because that was all over the marketing for the movie. You go and see it, and they don't even show it till what about the twenty minutes left of the movie, and then he only uses it twice. Like, yeah, well, that's a let, that's a letdown. All right. Anyway. That's gonna that's gonna wrap it up for this edition of Geekville Radio. Once again, we can be found at geekvilleradio.com. The site is renovated and kind of 
work in progress, but you can reply to shows and posts there. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Geekville Radio. Drop us a line. You can find us anywhere podcasts can be found. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it. Give us a review. Give us a follow. Let us know what we're doing well. Let us know what we're not doing so well. And uh, Train, if anybody wants to talk to you about 80s glory or whatever, where can they find you? <laughs> I'm always available on Twitter at crazytrain underscore JB. That is pretty much my handle across all uh, social media platforms. So if you want to talk to me and you use something other than Twitter, just do a quick search for crazytrain underscore JB. If pictures pop up of me as Crazy Train Wrestling, you got the right one. So, All right, we're going to shut down the power here in the Geekville Radio Studios, and we will talk to you folks again next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the host and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of geekvilleradio.com, a1-wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved. I just remember just the Roboto figure because anytime I saw the commercial for Roboto, instead of the, the music that played, I was hoping they were going to play Sticks as Mr. Roboto. That would have been awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs>